Tuesday and welcome to the Tuesday version of the Daily Walk. Take two, the first time I forgot what I was saying. It's a great day to be in the Word. Today we're in Luke 3 through 6 and Luke gets detailed about how Jesus gets prepared and begins his ministry. And so let's dive right in it. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger, and today is good stuff. Some will recognize from Matthew and Mark, but I'm telling you, today is a little more detailed than what we had in Mark. Because remember, this is the good doctor writing to us. So we get started right away with John the Baptist going out, and he's we, Luke gives us quite a bit on John the Baptist. And chapter 3 is a lot dedicated to him. And the first thing it does is it puts us where we're at. Okay, so it says we're in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. So he puts the people in place. This is important because this gives us an idea of where we're at in Jesus' span as well. Because, you know, we finished with he's 12 years old, he's in the temple, but fast forward because if we look at who's where, we can get that he's in adulthood now. Because we got Pontius Pilate mentioned as the governor, which we know he was uh, a big part of the passion because we just finished that in Mark and Matthew. We have uh, Herod Antipas, which we know has a big deal to do with uh, not just the birth of Christ, but was there um, when John is arrested, beheaded, and has something to do with a slight bit in the Passion. Um, But we have Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, and they are real big to do with the death and resurrection because they're the ones that spearhead the whole crucify him, crucify him campaign. So we see right from the beginning here in Luke chapter 3 that these people are in their positions now and so that kind of is our clue that, okay, Jesus has grown up. Because we know he was only here for 33 years. And Luke's going to show us that here in a minute. Because now he switches gears to the messenger. And the messenger is John the Baptist going place to place on both sides of the Jordan River preaching that people should be baptized to show they have repented of their sins. Now, that's highlighted in mind because baptism doesn't save you. 
so many people are like, oh, I got baptized today. But baptized, bab, getting baptized is an outward sign of an inward grace. That's how we say it easily. When we get baptized, it is to show, just like the word says here, that we have repented of our sins and turned to God to be forgiven. In other words, it says, baptism says we've been to a point in our life where we ask Jesus into our life. We've accepted him as our Lord and Savior, and we want to walk with him. And so we go to someone and say, hey, can I be baptized? Because that is an outward expression that we've accepted that. And we show people through baptism that we've made that commitment. And then through that same sacrament, it's an acceptance of the family of God into the family. And it's really good. So it talks here about John being the voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare your way for the Lord's coming. And, you know, there's people today like still that are literally doing that, prepare your way. I, when I come back from my church in Mattoon, there's a place, there's a route I take, and there's a big red barn like Urbana Red, if you guys that worked with me in the fire service know what I'm talking about. And it has in big, ginormous, multi-feet letters written on it, Jesus is coming, be ready. Because, I mean, it's a big barn, so they have the room to write it, and it's it's pretty cool how they wrote that. And so it has that on there. But here's the thing. When Jesus is coming, they send a forerunner. And then when Jesus gets here, we what I really want us to take note is as Jesus goes town to town, look how he interacts with people. And then what I want us to take note of is how do really diehard converted Christian people interact with people who don't know him. Because there's ways that Jesus does it, and then there's ways that other people think they should do it. And there's a way that I think I would want to represent versus the way that some others do it. So... John says that, and people are asking him, are you the Messiah? And everyone's expecting him, and they think maybe John might be it. And John's like, well, wait a minute. I baptize you with water, but someone's coming who's greater than I am. So much greater, I'm not even worthy as to be a slave or untie the straps of his sandals. Remember that from uh, Matthew? Matthew recorded something very similar to that, to what John was saying. But here's here's where Luke gets even more detailed. He says, I, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And man, that is so good. Because when you get Jesus in you, he, he says he'll give you the Holy Spirit 
and the Holy Spirit comes into you, and there's just, it lights you up, man. It makes you want to just be, and, and it just reminds me of a guy that I was working with in the fire service, praying for, praying for, praying for, praying for, praying for, me and another chaplain in the fire service. And when the Lord got a hold of him and he got saved, that dude was so on fire. <laughs> he came knocking on my door, and I thought he had a delivery because he was working for a delivery service at the time. But he's like, no, guess what? I got saved, and, man, he was so on fire and was so big into that, and it was so good. It was so good. I jumped in his arms, gave him a giant hug, and I just let him share his testimony, and he he shared that for a long time. So... It's real. The Lord will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, but you got to ask for that. You got to ask for that. Lord doesn't force anything on anybody. So then chapter 3 moves on to the baptism of Jesus because Jesus is getting ready for his own ministry. And, you know, he's a man at this time as well, he's walking around in the flesh part two also. So he has to represent like anyone, so he gets baptized too. Remember, and, and in Matthew, Matthew records it well because he's like Luke's or uh, John the Baptist is kind of hesitant at first, but Jesus says, no, we have to do this so that my Father's will can be fulfilled. And when he comes out of the water, that's when the dove comes down on him. And Luke records this, a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy, which that's a little different than what the other two have, okay? So if we put the other two in together, we get all the things that that everybody heard from the Lord and how their take is. But the big thing is, the dove, is, the dove comes down, it lands on him, and it says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, who I dearly love. And it's just really good stuff because we get to see the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove there. Now, when you are in church, you don't see it. The fog doesn't mean it. You don't need to replicate it. The sense of the Holy Spirit is that just that. It's a sense of the Holy Spirit. And he comes into you, and he lives in you. You don't wait for a feeling. It's all accepted by faith. And you know it because you you do sense it in a, in a way that is so overwhelming that this fire lights in you. And, and like for me, it, it's like you, you. For me, it was this massive uh, tingling with goosebumps, and and I don't. I it's just different for everybody. But you know, there's an anointing going on. And when I pray in my personal space, and I'm in the spirit, I know the Lord is there because there's just this this anointing feeling that comes over you and it's just amazing and i pray for that every day because i want to be in his presence and it's like a, a it's like a spiritual hug from the lord and i love that so jesus gets this blessing from his heavenly father and so we're one step closer to him getting into his own ministry so then 
Luke gets into the ancestry of Jesus in chapter 3. This is like Jesus is an adult now, all right? And he says, this is where we figure out that because he says Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. So when the chapter started, we got the, the scene set that those key figures in Jesus' life as adversaries are already in place. So think about that. For three years, he's dealing with them. It's almost like for us, we got four years between elections that we deal with stuff. And then the year before an election, we got to deal with stuff. So Jesus, it's not much different for him, right? And then they put his genealogy on here. And why is that? Because, you know, we read through, most people skim this. But here's why you don't want to skim this. You kind of want to look at this and try to figure out who's who a little bit. Because Luke puts this in here to show us that Jesus' genealogy is relative to us. You can find in his genealogy someone that relates to you, someone who relates to where you've been, someone who relates to situations or a past that you may have had. And I just highlighted a few because, you know, Joseph... He was his, his earthly father. He was a carpenter. And my grandfather on my mom's side is was a carpenter. My son and I, we do carpentry stuff for people who need help with that as mission projects. Uh, Zerubbabel, I highlighted that one. He was, he was a leader that helped when they needed help. And that's who we talk about in Zechariah. Joshua was a great leader that led him across the Jordan River. You know, was the one that came after Moses. David, the greatest king ever, had discipline issues. He didn't want to discipline his kids. He shed a lot of blood, so he wasn't allowed to... Uh, build the temple himself. So, I mean, while he was the greatest king ever, he still had his own imperfections, right? Here's one. Jacob and Isaac. Isaac was Jacob's father. They had issues with being misleading, bearing false witness. And... You know, sometimes we don't want to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help us God. And that that's real. Judah, you know, he is an adulterer. And he sells his brother into slavery. He had a lot of anger pent up. He had anger issues. And so there you go. Noah had a drinking problem. Yeah. So, I mean, there's stuff in there that we can all kind of relate to. And, you know, clear back to Adam. Adam fell into temptation. 
and you know it's there's this whole f- genealogy of Jesus these are his ancestors just shows us that we don't have to be the diamond in the rough to be in Jesus's family we can be perfectly imperfect through Jesus Christ because he can change us and make us what he wants us to be. So chapter 4 goes into the temptation of Jesus. Remember, Matthew hit it really well. Mark just kind of skimmed over it. And here Luke goes into it really well again, and he gives the scriptures, and he points out that he's, tempted for 40 days and then he fasted and he became hungry so the first thing satan tempts him with is to turn the stones into bread and here's the thing everything jesus gets tempted with he counters with scripture so the big thing is excuse me we need to know the bible you don't necessarily have to know the address of what you're saying but you need to know that it's in there, and you need to know it. Don't guess it. Don't try to put human interjection into it. But know it, because you remember Psalm says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's what Jesus is. And see, this is showing us that as part of his readiness, he's got to be able to show us that he can resist temptation and not fall into it, Because anything here, he knows he's the Messiah. He knows that he is God in the flesh. He could have, at any one moment of this, just rebuked it all and said, forget this, I'm done, and left, and went back to the splendor of heaven. But he didn't. So all this is for purpose, and it's also to show us that in the flesh, We have the power to overcome any temptation, which we'll get to when we get to Paul's writings, because we have that same Holy Spirit living in us. Yeah, we do. Because when we accept Jesus, we can be baptized with that Holy Spirit and with fire. And then we can walk this earth in human form and resist the devil and not yield to temptation and fall into sin. That's huge stuff to me. I love it. So then Jesus passes with flying colors the temptation and the devil leaves and waits for his next opportunity, as Luke puts it. And Jesus returns to Nazareth. He goes to Nazareth. They hand him a scroll. He reads that, you know, the kingdom of heaven is there and the Messiah. And he tells them, hey, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled. And, of course, there's this doubt amongst them. And he says, you know, that he's not going to be able to stay in Nazareth because you guys don't believe in him. And so that makes them mad. So they want to mob him. And they're trying to push him over the edge. But Here's what's really cool that Luke denotes, no one else does. They're trying to push him over a cliff, but Jesus passes right through the crowd and went away. (laughs) That's something that only Jesus could do, 
And I'm thinking Luke makes that a point so that we can see that that's something only Jesus can do. So then we get to more of his healings and teachings, and we get to how he heals uh, the demon-possessed guy in Capernaum, and then we get to where he's at Peter's house and his mom has a fever. And so Jesus, here's how Luke records it. Remember in Matthew, he just takes her by the hand, says a word, and she's good. That's a touch. But Luke records it as standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and left her. So it's interesting how Luke records the word, rebuking it, but doesn't say anything about the touch. Now, I just see it as who remembers what, and what's interesting is when we pray over people, a lot of times we lay hands on them, and Matthew got the whole laying hands on, where Luke got more of the how his power of words just was enough, and that's what he got. So he's in there, he's in the town, he's in the village, and he's healing all the people, he's casting out all the demons, and he goes up to pray in an isolated place, and the people are all looking for him, and they want him to stay, he doesn't want him to leave. And here's, here's a nice way of Jesus saying no, and I mentioned this before, and he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom in other towns too because that is why I was sent. So he continues to travel. So instead of just saying, no, I got to go, he just puts it out there that, hey, I I really got to preach to the other towns too the good news of the kingdom of God because that's why I was sent, and he just keeps continuing to pray. And sometimes I think if we, you know, my I always talk about how my son teaches me about tone. Sometimes I think if we could learn that no is an acceptable word if we learn how to say it without saying just flat out no. You know, I don't like it. Then we can figure out how we can be less offensive, and I think that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit because he guides our words. So then Jesus, in chapter 5, this is really good. Jesus is teaching the people on the seashore, and they start pressing in because there's lots of them, lots of them, lots of them, lots of them. Well, so that he doesn't end up in the water. He steps into a boat, and he teaches them from there. So you got to think about this. He's in a boat, standing in a boat, which is floating on the bank of a, of the seashore, teaching them. And it just happens to be Peter, James, and John's boat. And when he finished speaking, he looks at Peter, and he says, Hey, now take your boat out where it's deeper and let your nets down to catch fish. And the key here is take it out where it's deeper. Of course, Simon's like, Simon Peter is like, 
Oh, Lord, we fished all night. We didn't catch any fish. But if you say so, see, a lot of times the Lord might want us to do something that we've done already, but he wants us to go deeper in our trust with him. And we may think, yeah, but I've tried that before and it didn't work. But the Lord is wanting us to go deeper in our trust with him because when we did it the first time, we did it only on our own accord in our own efforts. And now the Lord wants to bless it through him. And he might say, you know, tweak it a little, turn it one degree, that's something we teach in organic outreach. And let me go with you this time and see what I do. Go a little deeper and see what the Lord can do for you. And while we, all he's waiting for us to say is, if you say so, are we going to be obedient? To what he's asking us to do, or are we going to say, no, I already did that. I'm not, I don't want to do that. Because Peter said, if you say so, and they went out a little deeper, and they caught so many fish that the boat began to sink. Both boats, they had to call another boat in to help them, and they both, and then here's the thing. When we see how much God can do for us if we just put our trust in him and go a little deeper. We should become like Peter did, and he became repentant. And he's like, oh, Lord, forgive me. For I, I have fell short. I'm a sinful man because I tried to do this on my own, and I should have did it with you from the beginning. And that's what he's asking us to do, to put our trust in him. All my hope is in Jesus. Yeah, I know I butchered that, but man, that's what we got to do. And so Jesus says, yeah, you know, you're forgiven. I love you. Come with me because now we're going to do things together. And we're not going to fish for fish. We're going to fish for men. Isn't that cool? We're going to fish for people. And then the story shifts to the guy that's got leprosy. And he says, hey, if you're willing you could heal me and make me clean. And man, that is so awesome because Jesus looks at him with compassion in his eyes and he says, I am willing, be healed, just with a word. And boom, the guy is healed. Isn't that awesome? I love that story. And then it goes to the guy that, you know, is paralyzed and Jesus is in the town and it's all the people, he's in a house and all the people have filled the house and they're out. You got to figure this. I love the story because this is the one where the five friends, they can't get to Jesus. So they go climb the roof, dig a hole in the roof, and then they lower the fan before Jesus. Remember that? And then Jesus looking at the friends, seeing their faith, he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. 
which is the healing power that they're looking for because they always think that if someone is fallen ill, sick, or lame, it's because of some sin because that's what the Pharisees have taught them that, you know, you this must be coming because you're sinful. We do that today still. Oh, this this massive tragedy that came is because they they lived this sinful way. That's not the case. <laughs> you know, and then they, they cast judgment on Jesus. Who does he think he is that he can cast, that he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, I'll show you that I am the Son of God. What's easier to say your sins are forgiven or to pick up your man and walk? So pick up your man and walk. Go. And so the guy just picks up his man and walks. See, he dispels all their thought processes and their judgment, which is so funny because we get so caught up in the do's and don'ts and the scruples of church that we forget what we're really there for and that we have to be compassionate and kind. And when Jesus saw them lowering him down, he had compassion on this guy so much. And he saw the faith of his friends. That's what really got me. It was the friends. That's the friends we need, man, that they believe so much that they are so determined to get us before the Lord. And they pray for us, intercede for us, that they never let go. I have friends like that. And that's why I am where I am today. And I'm so thankful for that. Thank you, Jesus, for those. So then Jesus, you know, sees Matthew, the tax collector, sitting out there. (laughs) And he's like, dude, you don't need to be doing that. Because Matthew is doing it just to make a living, and he he can Jesus can see in his heart that he feels embarrassed by his job. I think there's times where we have jobs that are embarrassing, but we have to do something to provide for our family. And so Jesus says, "Come follow me." So obviously he just he leaves his stand, boom, he leaves it. And he's so excited that now he's he doesn't have to do that work anymore. He doesn't have to have people look down on him anymore. So he goes with Jesus and invites him to his house, and he invites his tax collector friends with him. And and Jesus is in there eating with him. And guess what? The Pharisees, yes, you've heard this, but the Pharisees, here's what we got to look at. If you don't know who Jesus is and you're looking in there and he's having dinner with these guys, how are you going to know which one's which? But they're casting stones. Why does your boss eat with such scum? <laughs> and Jesus is like, whoa, come on, man. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. I didn't come for you guys that already think you are all that. I came for those that are looking for an answer. And that's where I'm going to sit. That's where I'm going to be. Because we don't know someone's story because we don't know someone's situation. We don't have a right to judge. 
And that's when he goes into the old wineskin and the and the putting patches on garments. And here's what I like about Luke. Luke's the only one that closes it this way because so many times we don't want to change the way we view things because we think it's okay and it's the way we've always viewed them and that's the way we've always done it. And Jesus says, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine because the old is just fine, they say. And man, is that true. In other words, I don't want to change the way I look at things because the way I look at things is just fine. It works for me. Even though I send people away and they, they get turned off by what the what the Lord is, and because even though I send them away, even though because you know, my message is for me and it's not helping others, it's okay. It's good. You know, I like this. I don't care if they don't like this. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what it's about. We got to help people. And that's what I want to be. I want to be the one that says, no, that's not what it's about. We got to help people. Let's just praise the Lord because then they challenge him on something else. You know, you know, why are you guys breaking heads of grain off? And Jesus reminds them that I am the son of God. And the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't made for you and your scruples. The Sabbath is made for people and to take care of people. And I love that. And right after he says it, they challenge him again because that's when he heals the man with the lame hand. Is the Sabbath made for doing good or for doing bad? And then they look at him because they're like, hmm, what's he going to do? Because that guy's hand is is all withered. And Jesus is like, come on, man. I just got through telling you I am Lord of the Sabbath. And the guy holds his hand out and it's healed. Well, this is the part, remember, that the enemies of Jesus, this is how it closes out, were wild with rage. It made them so mad that he did that, especially after he's claimed that he's the Lord of the Sabbath and he's going to be there to help people, not hurt people. And it made them wild with rage, so they began to discuss what to do with him. And remember, Matthew put in that it made them plot to kill him. So then its story switches, and Jesus chooses his 12 out of the disciples, he chooses the 12 apostles. That means he calls them to be more. And then he goes into the Beatitudes, and we've had those, and then he gets into do the golden rule. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And, man, we really got to get into that. That's huge. And how do we do that? Do not condemn others or it will come against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. That's huge. So the question is, how is your forgiveness? Are you forgiven? Others? Because remember, Matthew wrote, if you don't forgive, then your heavenly father won't forgive you. But here's what Jesus says, and we'll close with this because this is going long, I see. 
Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, and to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Now, a lot of people look at that as money, but here's what I want to tell you. That's in everything. The amount of mercy you give, the amount of kindness you give, the amount of forgiveness you give, everything you give returns to you in full. So when you go wherever you go today, Give kindness and watch. Give a smile and watch. Give a greeting of kindness and just see how it brightens someone's day. Because you want to be that new wineskin people and you want to make a difference. Because you know that if you give goodness, you're going to receive goodness back and it's going to be running all over and pouring out into your lap. Have a great Tuesday and be that great person Jesus made you to be in Jesus' name. Have a great Tuesday. We'll see you. Word of God speak Would you pour down like rain Washing my